Welcome, everybody. You are listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. My name is Amanda, registered massage therapist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And today I'm talking to somebody who's not just slightly far away. Uh, what would you say? What, what are the miles between us, Brooke? I'm, geography is not my thing. Um, I don't know. It's about a six-hour flight, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, about that. I am speaking. <laughs> Something today, like that. I am speaking today to Brooke Trotter. Who um, are you in? Are you in Manchester right now? In Manchester, yeah. All right, in Manchester, England. The reason we're speaking today is Brooke uh, had an accident in May of 2007, and uh, which resulted in a traumatic brain injury. And um, I'll give you a little bit of backstory before I pass it over to Brooke. We met sometime in 2006 through a mutual friend. Um, she is Canadian, and she met Brooke traveling around the world, and the two of them kept in touch. So then him and I met in 2006, and uh, I will never forget where I was when I received a phone call. I was at work. This was uh, back in my days when I was working as a personal trainer. And I got a call at the gym I was working at, which was very bizarre because normally people wouldn't have called my work. And it was our mutual friend who said, Brooke was in a car accident. He's not doing so well. And she was already booking flights to go to England. So from there, there was a lot of back and forths. We were told different things. Um, as I said, I'll let Brooke get into that. And then uh, we saw each other again about a year after the accident. And it was really awesome to be able to hang out and have lunch and talk to my friend again. But as he's going to tell you when he, he talks about his story, um, there were differences, right? It was a different kind of different kind of conversations we had, different kind of hangouts that we had from what we were doing back in 2006, right? Involved less alcohol. Definitely less alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Brooke, thank you for talking to us. Uh, it's 10 a.m. here in Toronto, 3 p.m. in Manchester. And uh, why don't we just start by you telling us your story? Start at the beginning. Okay, I was a uh, student in Manchester in 2007, and um, we'd been out for a night out, you know, nothing nothing out of the ordinary. Um, we'd been to watch a band, and I was walking home to catch the bus home, crossed over a, crossed over a pretty busy street, and um, I, now I can't remember any of this, but I've just this is just what I've been told from like the evidence and witness statements and stuff like that. I was I crossed over the road by a McDonald's, so in some way Ronald McDonald is to blame for this. <laughs> and um, um, there was a car coming down the road at about fifty miles per hour. Um, he'd seen me by all accounts, and he'd he'd started to brake hard. Um, he'd lost control of the car. The car skidded onto the pavement. Um, I, I was running across the road. I'd made the, the pavement at the other side, and um, he went onto the pavement. He and he hit me when I was on the pavement. My head went smashed straight through the windscreen. Um, I was carried on the car for about I think it was about twenty meters down the uh, down the road, and then um, then I was thrown off the car, and he drove off. Being a lovely guy that he was, tried to get away. Um, somebody obviously called the ambulance i can't remember but um the ambulance came pretty quick um they took me to manchester royal infirmary which is the uh, the local hospital there and um i was stabilized i was um there's a thing when you when you have a serious head injury like that it's called the don't know if you've heard of it amanda but it's called the golden hour it's basically the, the treatment that you get in that the hour immediately after the incident it says a lot about you know, the recovery you're going to make um, because, you know, obviously you need fast treatment. And so I was, I was, you know, we've got a lot to be thankful for. I've, um, I was, I was, um, I was treated pretty fast, probably within 20 minutes or something like that. Okay. Um, quick question before you continue. The guy who hit you and drove off, yeah. was there alcohol involved? Was this a drunk driver that hit you? Um, it wasn't. Well, this, this is this, this is where it becomes unclear because it was a. It looks like it was a um, a couple out for a out for um, a night out. I think it was a first date. That's um, <laughs> how we do romance in England. Um, that so they'd been out for a first date. They'd had a, they'd had some drinks, but when he was caught he was breathalyzed and he was like just under the uh, under the um 
the legal drink driver limit, she had a female passenger in the car with her and uh, she was quite way over the limit. So at the time, um, they didn't know, obviously, who was driving, um, I think. Oh. So they think, I mean, I, I don't know because it's a police investigation, but it, I, can't, I can't really say, but, it, you know, it could have been that she was driving um, or or he was driving. Either way, they'd been, they'd been drinking. She, yeah, she was quite way over the limit. Um, the first one that we heard was um, that she'd admitted to driving and they was going to court and that was that was going to be that. And then when the court date actually came, um, they changed the story to he'd been driving. Um, she'd come into the court and she was like six months pregnant and they'd got married and they're you know, going to have a baby. Um whether that was the true sign of love or whether that was um, a ploy on the judge, we don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. So mm. very unclear what exactly happened. But either way, you were hit yeah, by a car. Probably said, probably said more than I should have done there, but anyway. Regardless of who was driving or what the story is, you were hit as a pedestrian. And you were yeah. actually already on the sidewalk. So, I mean, this car really went out of control, hit you, carried you on the car after your head had been through the windshield. Now you're at, yeah. you're at the hospital in Manchester. <laughs> And I know, obviously, you don't remember any of this, but based on what we were told, what you were told, what was your mother and your family told initially when they came to the hospital? So I was at university in Manchester. Uh, my mum, my my parent, I'm from a place called Scarborough, which is on the east coast of England. Um, you've been there, Amanda, have you? I have. And by the way, if anybody doesn't know, I'm from... Uh, part of Toronto called Scarborough. So I mean, Brooke and oh, I were yeah, really, yeah. Brooke and I were really meant to know each other somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how I met our mutual friend, who's also yes. Canadian. Yeah. Um, we were in a we were in a hostel in Sydney, and everybody's got the passports out, and just you know, because they're all from all around the world, and we noticed that hers said Scarborough in, um, but it it wasn't England; it was Ontario. So mm-hmm. then, um, oh, but you call it Scarborough, don't you? Yes, <laughs> we don't. Yeah. We don't exactly have uh, the same pronunciation, but it's spelled the same. No. so it's the same. It's the same. Yeah, <laughs> it's and like if you look at it on the map, um, this this uh, the, the towns around it are called Pickering, um, mm-hmm. one called Whitby. Yeah, and our um, our Scarborough Scarborough um, has got the same towns. There's York. Yep, uh, which is you know they're all very close to each other in England as well. Absolutely. Uh, Okay, so your mom's in Scarborough. You're in Manchester. She gets a call. Yeah. What is she? Yeah. Sorry, she didn't get. No, she didn't get a call. She got the police knocked on the door at three o'clock in the morning. And um, my dad, at the time, my dad's retired now, but my dad worked away. Um, My dad used to work on the oil rigs, and um, he used to, you know, be away at two weeks at a time. And he, he, she was on the in the house on her own. So she was obviously pretty scared going down. Um, she she said she had a feeling it was something to do with me straight away. But um, she's got I've got two sisters. Um, they both won their own successful businesses, and the younger brother was um, was a student who used to drink a lot. So it was the, <laughs> it was highly likely that it was with me. So <laughs> um, so I went. She she um, she she come down. She opened the door. And the, the policeman said to her that I'd been in a very serious accident in Manchester. Um, it wasn't looking good. Uh, she got they got the, the the nurse who was caring for me at the time in Manchester on the phone, and she said to my mum, "Like you know, darling, you have to get here as quickly as possible." And um, my mum had said, "Well, he will still be alive when I get there, won't he?" And she said, "I can't promise you that. Just get here as quickly as you can." And my mum's quite, you know, mum's quite sensitive anyway, and that's, you know, obviously with friend that that'd be a shock to any mother, wasn't it? And, I um, I literally just got chills because if I got a yeah. call like that about any yeah. of my kids, you know, will they still be alive when I get there? I can't promise yeah. you. I think at that moment, I can't even imagine how your mother was feeling. No, so it's, I mean, it's like it's pretty much traumatized my mum for the last twelve years. You know, it's something, it's something that she'll never really get over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they actually let her drive um, halfway, which I really disagree with. But um, then the, the Manchester police met her on the border, and uh, they took her the rest of the way in, um, you know, in, in the police car with the, with the sirens wearing and stuff. And um, she was 
she said when she got there, um, my head, I, she, I mean, that's my mum, and she wouldn't have recognised me. She would just walk straight past me. My head was like the size of a watermelon, she said. It was, um, I had, it was all, there's a, my, like my head was split up, and um, I've got scars, and it was it's just near my eye. Um, I was very, very lucky not to lose my eye. And um, so they had, um, they kind of, they kind of stabilised me at that hospital, and then I got moved to, um, another one called Solhudra, which is the is one of the leading neuro units in the country. So um I was lucky to get a bed there. I was put in intensive care in that hospital. And um I was in a coma for sixteen days. Um, yes. I think our friend had come to visit me while I was still in the coma. She um, did, yeah. So I, I mean yeah. I was getting I was getting updates and it's foggy. I mean, obviously, you don't remember any of it. It's, it's foggy for nah. me, being that it was 12 years ago. But I yeah. remember things being thrown around like, um, you know, it's very unlikely that he'll come out of it. And then it was, okay, if he comes out of it, he'll essentially be in a vegetative state. And then I remember hearing that, okay, maybe maybe he will, you know, be able to speak, but, you know, unlikely that he's going to really get all motor function back. So we were thinking, you know, you weren't going to be able to walk again. There was all of these different things at that moment. I guess they didn't know what was going on or, you know, really couldn't tell what your recovery was going to look like. They just, I think that's the thing with head injury. You just, you just don't know, do you? You just, Mm -hmm. um, they don't have a clue. So, um, yeah, they did. Obviously, I'd go into a coma. They didn't know whether I'd wake up out of that coma, and uh, they used to go in every day. They could only go in two people at a time, I think. My dad said that. Um, oh yeah, I should mention my dad. My dad was uh, actually working in a place called Azerbaijan in the Middle East, so he had to then get a get a um, a flight, like a five hour flight home to Manchester, and then he had to come see me then. So um, it was a pretty stressful time for both my parents really yeah actually you know the two times that I came I think I stayed with you for a week in 2006 and I stayed with yeah. again with you and your mom at your mom's place for a week in 2006 and then probably close to a week in uh, 2008 and in all that time you know I don't know that I ever met your dad I guess he like you said he was really traveling a lot I don't it remember was probably ever... yeah he used to work away so yeah there's that there's yeah. 50%, 50% chance he was either there or he wasn't, so he was obviously away both times. Yeah, I don't think I've ever met your father. Anyway, side note, keep going. <laughs> yeah, where are we? So we were, now you're in a coma, your dad has just come back, and uh, your mother said she you were unrecognizable. Yeah, so my dad had, my dad had asked the, uh, the consultant, he'd said, you know, just, you know what's, what's the chances, um, what chances he got? And he said about, he said about 30% um, for... <laughs> from me waking up so it's yeah it was kind of the chances were the odds were kind of stacked against me mm-hmm. I was um and they said they used to go in every day um didn't know whether I'd come out of the coma or I'd be asleep you know forevermore um and it said one day there was um my eyes were very slightly up and I think one one I was looking forward and one I was looking at the wall straight out of the window yeah and um but you know, regardless of my eyes being straight, I think they were quite—they were quite just pleased, just to you know, they were quite overjoyed to see me at my eyes open again. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it was just from then it was like um, I think it's just, it's just like you know you see these see these movies, don't you? And you see people like wait, wait you know, wake up out of a coma, and uh, you know, they're just talking again, you know, as if they've just been to sleep. But yeah. it's, just, it's, just, it's just not like that. It's a very, very, very slow process because. Your brain's like, yeah, I guess it's like a, do you know, the, the old PCs, you know, you have to like reset them and reset the computer and you have to load again and everything. And um, that's kind of been reset. So um, I had to, the, the um, I think I was mute for about two weeks. Okay. And um, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, I didn't say anything. I just kind of made noises again, you know, like, like a baby does. And uh, my first words, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly proud of actually. There was, then there was a like, um, not a nurse, but um, you know, somebody going around, the healthcare assistant okay. uh, going around, um, who would have, um, you know, given out hot drinks and stuff, and like, all, you know, I always had family around on my bed, so you know, made everybody a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, a cup of hot chocolate. I used okay. to have a cup of hot chocolate. I used to have a cup of hot chocolate, and my sister went to ask for the cup of hot chocolate for me. And um, 
I piped up and I said, I'll have half a Stella, please, love, which is half a lager. <laughs> and um, <laughs> they were my first, they were my first words back on my first introduction back to this world. So I think the Neol's going to be all right then. I cannot even imagine the reaction there because it's, yeah, that's like, I, I don't mean to cut off the story, but just to give a little bit more background, a very big reason that I asked Brooke to talk to me on the podcast today was because um, he's got a blog, which I will link when I post this podcast, um, called Brain Injury Brooke, which is yeah. basically to give people the... Uh, the information that maybe you wouldn't hear from a doctor, you know, this is this is really what our podcast is about, is getting people's stories and hearing it from the person with the experience. And um, yeah. I had read a blog on, on Brain Injury Brook that uh, was recently posted where he was talking about the differences when it came to socializing. You know, that even though, you know, he, he did make a recovery and he can he can function again. He can go out. He can be with his friends. He can be social. There were a lot of differences. And um, again, we'll get into that the more we go into the story. But that that moment when you you asked for a beer it was like this glimpse of you again. People were like, okay, he's he's gonna be just fine. (laughs) It was um, well it took a lot longer than that but it's uh, yeah it's it's been it's been a long long difficult road I guess but um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been. I wouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't change it. It's been all right. I I don't even know how to respond to that. I wouldn't change it. It's been all right. Tell me why. Well, like, what is it? What is it that you think that you got out of? Me? I guess it changes you as a person, doesn't it? It made me more empathetic. It's made me. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose because I can't really imagine my life being any other way. Um, right. It's just like people just kind of think I'm because I've, uh, now I see in, in it's not really bad but I, I do have double vision um I get you know I still get fatigued and stuff uh, it's mm-hmm. it's um I I just can't really imagine it being any other way I mean um we were talking to a friend the other day and um they were talking about um I don't know they were getting up very early in the morning and they were, they were going down to London and they were going to do several things in a day. And I was thinking like, because I have to have a bit of a siesta, a bit of a rest in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, where, do, where are you going to have your rest? And it kind of occurred to me that normal people don't have rests. That's just me. But it's just, <laughs> it's just kind of totally ingrained into me. Right. That's your reality. You know that you can't, yeah. you can't go, go, go for, you know, 10, 12, 13 hours without taking no. a rest. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I can do, I can do things in about, within about five hours. I mean, like in October, I ran a marathon in York mm-hmm. and um, that's, people say like, people get confused about it. People say like, how can you, you know, how can you run a marathon, but you get fatigued. But it tends to be like the amount of time that the brain can keep going for. Right. Um, and I just kind of have to like have a bit of a rest, you know, a bit of a time out in the middle of the day. I think that's, I mean, it started like back in the hospital days, back in 2007, you know, it would be like every kind of every hour. And um, I would just, I would just be constantly exhausted. But now it's, you know, it's, it's from, from every hour to like once a day is, um, that's, you know, it's taken me 12 years, but it's a massive jump. You know what? So. You know how earlier when you said when you first came out of the coma, you were only making sounds and you compared yourself to a baby, like relearning everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. The napping seems to be the same idea. You know, initially yeah. a baby needs to nap four or five times a day <laughs> and then maybe three times a day and then two times a yeah. day. And eventually once a day is all they need. So you sort of like retrained, is you're retraining your brain to, to function the way that that you yeah. had before or as close to the way that it had before yeah yeah i, I don't know whether you know I, I don't know if they ever get totally back to the way you were but i mean it's you, you change don't you so it's it's well it's before difficult. we get into you know how you feel you've changed sort of as a person aside from the double vision and the fatigue do you have any other um side effects left from that accident well there's a thing um if you've hit, it's, it's the frontal lobe of your brain, like the front part of your brain, which is like, you know, people, obviously a lot of people get hit behind the forehead and damage themselves in that way. 
and people um, people can like completely change personalities. People become aggressive. People become um, the, the, what happens is you like your um, your inhibitions. You get you, you don't have as so many inhibitions. Like you don't your social filter kind of goes. And um, people say people generally speak the mind, you know, without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And I um I've well, I guess I've been quite rude and I've done a bit of speaking my mind, but um I think the way it's kind of helped me is is I've I'm not really I'm not I don't think about so much stuff like uh, like for instance I when I was at school we did this I always remember this I did in English class we had to do this um, like like a public like, like a speech to the rest of the class and it was only my other friends in the class and I was I was absolutely petrified about it. And I, um, it was only speaking in front of 20 people and I had, I had such a, you know, I had such a panic about it, but mm-hmm. now I've just, I've just done some like road safety things, speaking in front of 500 people and it just, uh, the kind of the element of fear is all gone. So I don't really, I don't really get scared or anything like that when it comes to, when it comes to public speaking, um, I'm a lot braver than I used to be, which I suppose is a good thing that's come out of it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I, I don't mean to jump ahead so much, but you've you've recently been asked to do a lecture at a university, correct? <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. finish university, but I'm teaching at one. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, What are you lecturing on? Um, so I went through like um, a court case with the uh, like a compensation court case, um, a personal injury case, and um, what's happening now, I guess, with uh, solicitors, lawyers. They're, they're they're taught how to um, how to run, manage a case and how to how to claim compensation and things like that. How much how much um, an, an injury would be worth and what, what it become it's taken like it takes the human side away from it and people become have become just like a case number mm-hmm. and um, the, you know solicitors don't have you know the first idea about the people that they're representing. So they're trying to what they're trying to do in universities. They're trying to change that. And um, so I'm just going in to give my like my personal account how it was for me, what makes a good solicitor. So we had a you know a couple of different solicitors, and um, with the one, talking about the one we eventually settled on, and why they were better, and um, just try to you know try to make it more human as opposed to just the case number. Right, because again, and you know you and I talked about this before. Sure, they can understand how much an injury is worth in in terms yeah. of I guess the severity mm-hmm. of the injury, but yeah. It's not every injury is going to affect every person the same. And I guess for lawyers being able to understand the clients they're representing, that yeah. that is really important. So um, what, I mean, I don't want to take away from the lecture, but what was it about the one, the person that you chose to help you with your case that made you decide, or your family? I don't know if you were the, the person who made the final decision or if it was the family, but what made you go with this this particular person so what i'm first going to say is that we didn't have a clue about law um we just had we had no idea about it and um obviously i suppose speaking to them um people studying law degrees they will have had you know they will have had some some background maybe a family member had been a solicitor a lawyer um they'll know you know different parts of it but we just didn't have the first idea my sister's boyfriend at the time uh is a photographer and um, he was taking um, for this for this law firm. He was taking like headshots, you know, taking photos of the um, of the lawyers, um, you know, for the for the professional profiles and like it. It was um, there was a apparently a, a picture of a guy with a, his head in a bandage on the wall. So it, it asked, you know, what's all that about? And he says, oh, we specialise in head injury. And um, so we just kind of went with them. Um, we didn't, you know, shop about or anything, so we just kind of went with those solicitors, and they turned out to be um, they specialised, but in they specialised in like the defence, so they would have been, you know, defending the the lot of the insurance company, but they, oh. they kind of just took my case on and they weren't specialist in it, so um, so that's you know that that's the reason we went with them, um, and the, you know they, they were all right, but um, I mean I. I I can't really understand. I can't really remember. I remember the person, the solicitor we had, but I don't really remember much about it. Um, my dad was very much in control of um, all mm-hmm. of that then. 
Okay. Um, Let's move back then. So how long, you know, you, you were in the coma for, what did you say, 16 days? 16 days on the 16th day I woke up. Yeah. Okay. And then you woke up. How long was your stay in hospital from the time um, you woke up? Oh, it was the 15th of May, 2007, that the accident happened. Well, it was, it was actually the 14th of May that I went out and then it was 15th, it was two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got eventually, so I stayed in the first hospital for three months. And um, that was called Salford Ryle in Manchester. Oh, it was called Hope Hospital as it was then. And um, I then moved to like a re- rehab hospital, rehabilitation hospital um, called Trafford General. Um, but, and that was for about two and a half months. We got we got um, discharged on the 17th of October. So all in all about, um, about, no, sorry, the 27th of October. And all in all about five and a half months. Five and a half months. Okay. So in the yeah. rehab hospital, that's where you would have done... Um, I guess, therapy. What types of therapy did you have to go through? I assume physical therapy, speech therapy. Like, what did you What did you have to do? <laughs> um, again, quite hazy, but um, I remember I was, um, I remember, yeah, I remember physio, because it's like having a lot of physiotherapy. Um, apparently, they started the physiotherapy when I was in the coma. Uh, they were, you know, they would move my limbs and stuff like that, and they prop me up. And um, but in the in the you know in the in the rehabilitation hospital, I, I mean, uh, at the time, um, just before um, I had the accident, I'd, I'd gone, um, I'd gone through a stage of being mad at the gym, um, <laughs> and I it was. But the reason was because I fancied this. I worked behind this bar, and um, I fancied this one of the barmaids there, and um, she she told me. I'd asked her out and she said no. And um, rather than, you know, rather than be a gentleman, take it, take it like a man and go away, um, I got a massive chip on my shoulder about it and I um, started going to the gym and I uh, became like, obsessively training. And I was, um, so I hadn't really drunk for about a month before. And um, I was that um, I was in really, really good shape when I when I actually had the accident, and yeah, I hadn't drunk for a month before, and I was so I was the first, you know, I had no alcohol in my system, so I carried on drinking like I used to, so it kind of hit me really hard. So um, I was, oh God, you're gonna have to edit this, man. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, so what you were gonna tell me is uh, um, the rehab. You said they started doing like moving your limbs and stuff when you were in the hospital, and then when you went to the rehab hospital, it was a little foggy for you on what types of physio you did. And I guess that was somehow related to the fact that you were really fit when the accident happened. But I guess I mean, yeah, I remember a- they had, yeah, I remember they had, um, they had ballet bars. Um, you know when you know how. It's like two parallel bars, mm-hmm. about sort of um, chest height. And um, I remember the, the the physio. She was she was um, how do I say it? Quite attractive. She was called Claire. Um, and I was decided to try and impress her. I was going to do some, you know, like tricep dips. <laughs> and, and, you um, just you just got out of a hospital bed after three yeah. months, and your first thought is, "Let me hit on my physiotherapist." This this exactly, is the man yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, and so I was I was trying to trying to impress this uh, this uh, this physio, and um, I went kind of up to I prop, went to prop myself up to to then dip down and lift myself back up again, and I just kind of I just kind of collapsed, and um, because I had no obviously i've been i've been still for ages right um, in the in the coma and um, you know our muscles decided to waste away well you yeah you had lost a lot of weight again i never yeah. i never actually came over to england um until you know you were fully recovered and back home but i remember getting pictures as i said i was getting updates and i remember seeing yeah. a photo of you with all your family um you were in a hospital bed actually still in a hospital gown so this was probably pre rehab and right. uh you were just so thin because you know you've been you've been laying in a hospital bed for months so i remember when i was um when i was like going to the gym before um before i had the accident i was i know you use pounds i thought really um 
Ca- I know you use kilos, don't you, in, in Canada? No, um, we we still use pounds, but uh, let me okay. see if I could do a conversion because you use what, stone? I remember you always saying yeah. stone, and I don't know what that stone. means. Stone. <laughs> stone. <laughs> so a stone is, uh, is, it, is it 12 or 14 pounds? I think it's 12 uh, pounds. I'm going to Google it. One stone. Okay, one stone is... Uh, sorry. So the 12 Four, or 14 four, pounds. It's 14. Yeah, you're correct. 14 One stone pounds. is 14 pounds. Okay. Right. So I, before um, I went into, before I had the accident, I was 12 stone two. Okay. So that's 100. Just, just about 170 pounds. Okay. Yeah. 170 pounds. And then I remember um, being weighed in hospital and I was seven stone nine. Oh, wow. So, I mean, you, is... you went down to like 100 pounds. Yeah, basically. Wow. Yeah. So I okay. lost a lot of a lot of weight. Yeah. Okay. So now you're in rehab, hitting on your physio, and uh... well, I think so. <laughs> um, I know, like you said, that part's very foggy for you. So why don't we move forward a bit? Once you were discharged to go back home, what was that like for you? Trying to sort of restart your life again? When I came home, I was I can't really remember to be honest. Um, I was. I, rem- I remember the first thing um, I did, uh, sort of socially. Um, I went to because I worked in a bar before I. Um, I worked in a bar before I had the accident, and I went. We went to uh, this bar um, where I worked. On it was on a, on an afternoon. It was just quiet. Um, the the music hall was a really really down low. It was on a quiet day. But um, I just remember um, it just being absolutely overwhelming. And obviously, everybody wanted to speak to me to ask me questions and things like that. And I, w- I just remember being totally, totally overwhelmed by it all. Mm-hmm. It, was just, it was just awful. I, you know, especially when you when you were laid in the hospital bed, um, I was just imagining how you know you, you plan your big comeback, don't you? And I thought it would just carry on as it was before. But I was, um, it was like, you know, have you heard of like the swimming pool effect where people, it's it's like really echoey and um, it was just, I just think it was just like, um, everything was just overwhelming. It was just, it was, um, it was quite an unpleasant experience. So it was only in the afternoon, but I just, I just wanted to get out of there. I mean, the the music was on really quiet, but it just, it felt as if it was on really loud. And um, there was lots of people, lots of different people talking and I just wanted to, I just wanted to get over there. That was like was stimu- stimulation overload for somebody. Stimulation overload, yeah. Yeah, yeah somebody who had really been in the same environment for months with, you know, little to no um, interaction other than with, I, like you said, there was always family around you, but there was probably never, you know, a whole room full of people that, we're asking you 7,000 questions at one time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there was family, there was friends, but they were in the hospital, so they had to be, you know, they had to be respectful to a point. And um, so they were all quite, you know, <laughs> well-behaved, whereas they were in the bar this time and uh, there was no, like, you know, nobody policing the noise levels or anything like that. So. Oh, and I've I've met your friends. That would have... <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. I, have, so. I have met your friends. I would say in all of my partying years and all of my university years, I don't think I ever partied the way that I did when I came to stay <laughs> with you and your friends. I recall one time being there for New Year's Eve. And uh, it was... Anyway, New Year's Eve, we, we partied all night. I don't even... Honestly, I don't even know if most of us slept. And then I that remember... That was at Gareth's house, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was at your friend's house. And I remember at something like 9 o'clock in the morning, uh, somebody said, let's go to the pub because... I guess we had been there sort of all night. It's nine o'clock in the morning. First of all, I'm thinking, what do you mean? Let's go to the pub at nine o'clock in the morning. You know, we've barely (laughs) slept. Like, what do you mean? But anyway, I remember walking there. I was so tired. My contacts were so dry that my eyes couldn't even open more than a slit to see. There was somebody actually holding my arm to walk to this pub. And we go in and with, (laughs) with closed eyes, I went to the bar and ordered a pint. And this bartender gave it to me with, with no questions asked. And I thought, 
thought, if I was back home, there's no way that a bartender would be serving this drunk girl at nine o'clock in the morning. But they had no problem. So we continued, oh, we continued drinking probably until lunchtime. We went back to your place. Your mother fed us. And I think I passed out for the rest of the day. I think that's a, that's a, a like an English thing. Um, it's like known as getting back on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you oh boy! Pass on. I mean, I was, I was never, I was never one. You know, I would have lasted till lunchtime with you. It's the same as you, but I mean, yeah, I was never one for lasting. You know, well into the next day, but um, I could certainly, does you know, certainly last a lot. My 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 stamina had certainly dropped a hell of a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, this was this was two thousand six, so this was pre-accident yeah. when we had this party. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, so your first social experience was unpleasant. What? Yeah. What did that? I do remember. To let you? me tell you one. Let me tell you one thing as well. While while we were still in the hospital, um, we um, my sister's boyfriend Jay took us to um, it's, it's called a Trafford Centre, which is basically like a big sort of American style shopping centre. Um, we went there. You know, I went for something. I think I went for some KFC because the the, the hospital food was so bad. And um, and I went to um, he drove me there, and he was he was very careful to drive as you know as as, uh, as calmly as he possibly could. And um, when we got, I remember getting there, I just felt so sick because it was just like you know like seasickness because somebody had said it. it was you know I'd been basically been still, um, totally still for like well, I guess about five months at that time. Uh, you know, I'd been right. in a bed. And, you know, I hadn't moved and all of a sudden my organs are going along at 30 miles an hour and going around corners and stuff like that. And I just wanted to throw up. And then we went to, um, went into the shopping center and the, um, the, there's like, um, this, you know, this like big wide open spaces and, um, you know, this like central hall. And it was like, you know, this, um, the next wall is about a hundred meters away. Whereas, um, for the last five months, that you know the furthest the wall's been away is like you know maybe 20 meters right and um it just that that, that whole sense made me feel really nauseous and um that was a, that was a really unpleasant experience as well all of the see these are all the things that i i think it's important for people to hear because that's something i never would have thought about but yeah i mean well, like you yeah, said you were yeah, you were in the hospital bed for five and a half months, really not moving much other than probably some physio when you were in the rehab hospital. And suddenly now you're in a car, you're moving, like all of these experiences which were once so normal for you yeah. were just overloading your senses and you couldn't handle it. Yeah, you've been, you know, it's just normality, isn't it? But when you've been taken away and put in a, and then in a quiet place, we're just basically still. And I'd lived um i'd lived five you know five months not moving more than the, you know a couple of rooms away from each other mm-hmm. and all of a sudden uh, yeah it's, it's a massive stimulation overload i want to i want to go back to the day that you first went out your first social experience because that was the blog that i read what did that what did that do to you uh, you know when you've had that experience it was so unpleasant and it was something you'd been looking forward to as you wrote in your blog you know you were thinking this is my comeback i'm going to go and you know be me again okay. i think the thing is with um with brain injuries you, you kind of for me i was always in denial um i was in massive denial for a long long time and i just i just kind of brushed it aside and you know i thought you know i will be back next week and i thought i'll be you know you always keep putting a, another time limit on like you know maybe maybe a few months i'll be back to normal again and a few you know a few months more and a few months more but um you don't kind of realize that it's very sort of very serious mm-hmm. and um i always thought i always thought i was fine i always thought it was everybody else with the problem <laughs> and um but it was it's it's a difficult um oh, difficult thing to get over i guess sorry what was that a difficult thing to come to terms with um yeah. i didn't come to terms with it probably till till quite recently to be honest um it was probably a few years after leaving hospital that i um i thought i was just totally fine mm-hmm. um the first time i i came started to well started to come to terms with it is um my psychologist russell gave me a book um on head injury and um i became quite fascinated with that because i had this thing um called a brain injury but you don't really you don't really understand it and it's not like having a broken leg or something you know like if you you know you've broken a bone you can 
you have a plaster cast and you can see cat ear this it's it's evident what's what's the matter right but, um this is an this is an injury you couldn't see exactly yeah so um i didn't really understand and then so i started reading this book and i became quite obsessed with this book and then you start to you start to sort of read how serious it is and you know the implications it's going to have on the rest of your life and what that does um that that's kind of is it, it well it brings with it quite a bit of depression um mm. as you realize how bad it's got how bad it is this thing that you're in is um it comes you know he starts to realize and you become quite you know you become quite down in the dumps quite depressed mm-hmm. but actually that's kind of the first the first um step on the road to getting better because the fact that you're um depressed about it shows that you've kind of understood and you, you know your brain's kind of um working again Right, like sense, yeah. Well, I mean, it does because the way you described it was you were in denial, and reading yeah. this book, like you said, by the fact that it elicited some sort of emotion out of you, does yeah. show that you're you're now coming out of denial and realizing, okay, this is something that is massively going to change my life, and then you can start yeah. to figure out what your life is going to look like after that. Yeah. So the first, the first you know the first bit of good news is that you get that you accept the bad news if you know what i mean so Mm -hmm. you you kind of you're starting to realize what's what's happened to you and then um you know the implications it's going to have now here we are 12 years later when did you when did you start blogging i mean i know i've been reading some of your stuff but i don't even remember when when that started when did you start writing your story down for people so i've always kind of liked um i probably should have done a degree in english to be honest but um i've always kind of liked writing um and um but i so it was was a family friend of ours tina who suggested that i should start writing a blog and i was like no you know who would be interested in me because i don't do anything and um i can't remember what i think i think think it was till something like 2015 the first one i wrote and um i I had all these uh these uh, these names from so i called it the f word and that was um fatigue so the first one was about fatigue and um what what i wanted to to do was um when i first came out of hospital i obviously it was 2007 um the the internet isn't wasn't what it was now um, right there was there was like i mean there's not a massive amount now there's not a huge amount of information about brain injury but there was there was literally nothing then so um i was just you know just googling and googling and um trying to find out some sort of information and uh, maybe some sort of group that i could join or uh, people you know some sort of way i could get information the only the only information source I had was in Manchester, but I'd moved back to Scarborough. And um, so it was, you know, I saw my psychologist every, you know, every, maybe every couple of weeks or something like that. But um, I wanted some, I wanted something more. And I just thought it'd be nice to, for people going through it now, what I went through then was to just write down um so what i started doing was i started writing down some of the blogs um about making them about um different different symptoms of traumatic brain injury obviously there's you know there's lots of different symptoms but and every every injury is going to be totally unique but there are a lot of there are a lot of um similar similar symptoms that people experience well and even if they're even if each one is different it is sometimes comforting to know um, yeah. That other, you know, that there's other people who can understand. You know, even if they're slightly different, just having other people who have had something like this happen in their lives, and having somebody put it into words that maybe they can't. I can imagine there's some people that maybe can't even describe to people how much yeah, this has changed exactly. their life, right? So when I came, um, out, when I was discharged from hospital, I came home. I was just googling and googling what you tended to find were when you do Google brain injury was you, you, you found like the most extreme examples of people seriously affected by, you know, by brain injury. It, it wasn't something that spoke to me, if you know what I mean. So, Right. I it wasn't was, relatable because it wasn't no. what you were living with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just kind of, and you know what, it, what it was written, it was ri- written in medical language and things like that. So I didn't really, yeah, it didn't, it, it wasn't relatable to me. So, 
what I wanted to do was to create, um, you know, start creating a um, like a source source of information for for people who've you know just had a head injury and they're um, or more to be honest, people who've had a head injury maybe maybe in denial a bit more more for their family members and um, yes 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 i think that's that's probably more likely and um just talk about it in you know i'm you know i'm not a doctor i'm just a real person so i you know add a bit of humor to it i think that's very important that you you know you can't be he's so miserable and it's you know it's a bad enough thing that happened um as it is so just try to make it a little bit lighthearted and give my own personal take on it well, I think you did a really good job in that. In the ones that I've read, I won't claim to have read them all. Um, you know, I <laughs> There's have about two, 20 I, of them, I think. Yeah, I have two crazy children. So sometimes yeah, when I'm, you know, hanging out and I, I feel like reading something, I do read them. But you did a really good job at making it, um, making people understand what what life is like for you. It, you know, and again, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because I thought, this is so interesting, you know, like all we think is, oh my God, this is crazy. What a miracle. You know, he went through such a traumatic accident, you know, this long road in rehabilitation. And now look, he has his life back. And I'm sure that, yes, you feel grateful that, you know, you have so many things to be grateful for, of course. But I think yeah. the part that people forget is that it's not just life resuming is normal afterwards you know there's it's 12 years later and you still you're as you said in the beginning of the podcast you're you're a different person now and yeah you know some positives you're braver probably less inhibitions um but then there's also the fatigue that you still live with and uh the double vision and you know probably the uh the no filter gets you in trouble sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, not so much in these days but i've learned to control it a lot but it has done yeah but it's yeah it was really interesting to me to see that this is what i think people need to understand is you know you are grateful for having life of course and having the chance to rebuild a life but you had to go through a lot of struggle and i mean the de i can't imagine the depression you must have felt because it was almost like you had to say goodbye to the old brook the old life and recreate this new person yeah that's a very sort of matter of fact way of saying it but it's just uh, what i remember one thing i remember was um all people told me that was how lucky i was and, yes um you're so lucky well, that kind of really, really used to piss me off because... Yeah, well, that's sort of where I was going with that. It's not that you're yeah. not grateful, but... You no, know, yeah, I am grateful. It's as if you were yeah. supposed to be going on going, thank you, thank you, thank you. Right, so, but it's I'm like, so what What the fuck is lucky about yeah. getting thrown through a windshield? Like, exactly. if people I, actually you know, thought was... about what they were saying, in yeah. what way are you lucky? It's, it was... really it's not really a lottery win, is it? It's, no, um... it's really not. But you've done some really, really frigging cool things since then. Like, I mean, the marathon, I, I wanted to cut you off and ask you, what was your time? The, the time we got was four hours 57. Um, okay. We were, on, we were on for four and a half hours. But um, anyway, it was four hours 57, which is under five hours, which is, which is all right. That, you know, so, honestly, I even think, if... I think to, yeah, I think to, just to do it's pretty good, isn't it? That's so. what I was going to say. Even if you had told me your time was six hours, I, I would have said, you know what? The fact that you were able to run a marathon, as I said, when I was getting updates when you were still in the coma, you know, people were saying it's unlikely that he's ever going to walk on his own again. Never mind run a frigging marathon. Um, so the marathon, um, the blog, which I think is incredible because you really are getting useful information out there versus just medical jargon. And I mean, I happen to know because obviously I, I know you as well that you've become sort of a brain expert, but that's not the way you write. You don't write in terms that people aren't going to understand. I don't know about a brain expert, but I'll just I'll <laughs> say, I'll say I'd know more than the average bear, yeah. But, you know um, more than the average person about the brain. Yeah, but um, I just, I don't know, I'll just try to write write how I would speak a normal conversation. And mm -hmm. it's, 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 come across, it's come across good because I find that if you, if you speak um, in a way that people don't understand, then it puts them off, doesn't it? So... 
And, yeah, 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 I agree with that. I mean, again, you've listened to some of our podcast episodes. We we try not to get too overly technical because I've listened to the ones I've listened to are the unprofessional hours. So I would imagine they <laughs> they they're the ones I like. So I do you know what when I thought when you first did the other podcast, I thought it was good. Sorry, Amanda, I thought it was going to be shit, but um, I thought it was. Uh, Thank you I was for your honesty. massively, massively <laughs> pleasantly surprised, and I really, really, I really enjoyed listening to it. So I recommend anybody to go back and listen to the unprofessional hour. Oh, but, um, obviously, know... all the all the ones that, you know, the professional hours that you've got, um, I haven't actually listened to any of them because I just just for fear that I wouldn't understand. Um, um, but... You might be pleasantly surprised again. You know what? Listen to them and give me. I know you will give me okay. your absolute honest opinion. <laughs> That's, that was maybe that was maybe a frontal love because after a brain injury, I'm more honest. So there you go. <laughs> you you are definitely more honest, and I love it. Um, uh, is there anything else you want to you want to talk to people about? Anything else you want to share about your whole experience or what your life is like now? Oh God, there's loads of stuff. Um, I mean, there's all this things in um, the social media and stuff isn't there's a lot of there's a lot of a focus on um, mental health at the moment yes and um people kind of come to me thinking i've got you know i must have had, you know like poor mental health with it but i don't know my life's all right i quite enjoy my life so um it could be i've, I've, I've always been quite a, um, a glass half full kind of person mm-hmm. i think i tend to look on the bright side i think i'm a, a depressing person maybe someone have got a things to say about that but I don't, I don't think I am and, okay. um, but yeah I mean it could absolutely I mean there's all the thing is no matter what you do in life there's always going to be someone worse off and there's always going to be somebody better off isn't there but um, I, this brain injury it's this horrible thing we were talking about lucky but um, you know I am I am very lucky um, considering the, the severity of the accident I had yes um, and you know how I am now uh, people people I'm, I suppose I'm at such a state now that people don't really realise there's anything uh, that I've had any any injury in my life. But um, I suppose that it will become diff- diff- different when I was, um, if, you know, if they spent quite a bit of time with me. That I do, you know, after a while I would get fatigued. Right. But, um, for a, certainly for a short amount of time, I can I can come across as totally normal, totally you know, totally healthy. But whereas a lot of people don't have that opportunity. Um, and I do appreciate that I'm very lucky from that sense, but um, it's not. It's definitely not been easy. But um, no, I've, for I've sure. also worked. I've worked pretty hard at it as well. So. Uh, what is your What is your social life like now? Um, are you? Do you go out with your buddies again? Do you go yeah, drinking? Well, and- um, maybe not to to the um, to the level I once did, but I mean that's a, you know I'm thirty six now. I was, was going to say yeah, we yeah we were in yeah, our twenties yeah. then. That's a different story. <laughs> I don't drink like that anymore there's, either. <laughs> I just I just think that I think there's a lot of um, I guess I think I got I guess I got left behind. That's one thing that kind of kind of kind of try to explain in the blogs that. Um, I um particularly when I was listening to one of your um unprofessional hours, Mark was saying about I can't remember it was some some function or something, and he he um he was on about how he used to drink um mm-hmm. used to drink a lot, and um so all the time I've been trying to from you know waking up in the hospital I've been trying to get back to where I was, so my focus has been trying to get back to twenty four, um and you know unknown to me that everybody else has been you know maturing in the background and they've all got kids and they've got you know got married and all grown up and I'm sort of you know things the things I'm wanting to get to like I'm wanting to to get that social life back I had and people are saying that you know what you know that that's the thing of the past right does that does this make sense that I'm trying to get back to um my... to get back to something that people have already uh, already passed Right. My understanding of that is that it not even so much that you got left behind, but that you missed out on it because yeah, at the time, out, yeah. Uh, yeah, at the time that everyone else was doing that, it wasn't possible for you. And now, no. and now that everyone's sort of grown out of that, and like you said, you know, settling down, having starting families, well, they don't want to go out and party till two in the morning, and and so you no. feel that you you know you didn't get to do the things that everybody else got to do in their twenties. But I'm just like I'm starting to not I'm not not, not partying till two in the morning, but I'm starting to you know be able to be much more social now 
Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've, I've I've arrived at the party and everybody's already left, if you know what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, dating? Are you dating? Um, I do. Um, yeah, on and off. Um, I'm not going to go into it. But, no, you don't. You do not have to. We could even. No, cut them yeah. Um, but, yeah. And what about what about work? Do you work? My focus was always to move back to Manchester. Um, in my mind, it was to pick up my life as it was. I, in my mind, I kind of thought that we'd be going out partying every night. But um, obviously, the people that I was at university with, they'd already finished their degrees and they'd moved away. And um, they'd carried on with their lives. And it was, um, I wanted to go back to Manchester. And um, I was in Scarborough for six years. And I already wanted to, um, it come to the point, everybody was, um, it was, I was advised against it by a lot of people. And to be honest, I probably wasn't ready to do it. But... I went to, um, I moved here on my own and um, I, there was a, a local charity called BASIC, which there's an acronym for Brain and Spinal Injury Centre. <laughs> I nearly forgot that one. And um, I spent, you know, I started off by volunteering there and um, it would just, you know, they, they would just take so much out of me. And um, through, through them, there was a guy called Phil um, who, Give me a lot of advice. Um, one of the things he told me was there's something called UKBIF, which is they're all acronyms, sadly, but it was uh, UK Acquired Brain Injury Foundation. So I emailed them, their central office in London. They got back to me and said that the local the, the local representative in the area was a, was a solicitor called Sabrina at this place called uh, CFG Law, which uh, stands for Client First Group. Um, so I went down to meet Sabrina and I've, I kind of became friends with them. And um, I've done a few things for them. I've um, spoke at um, different universities, at hospitals. Um, I spoke at City of London Police. And um, I came, yeah, I mean, I always used to love going to this um, this this lawyer's office. And um, they called me in last year and they said that what they're doing now is they're doing like, um, they're, they're doing some marketing. And um, but it's called client first group, and um, a lot of the a lot of the you know the personal injury solicitors, um, their approach is we'll get you this amount of compensation. Their their approach is we'll get you this amount of um, you know we might not get you as much compensation, but we'll get you the better care. And that's um, that's something that you you realise is much um, much more valuable. Right, and so um, so there, um, so what I'm doing now is I'm working for them, and I'm on their website, which you can put a link up if you want. I'm writing blogs. What I was doing, you know, off my own back, I'm mm-hmm. now writing writing blogs for them. It's it's going well. I'm just I'm doing like I started off doing two mornings a week, um, and that was just it was absolutely exhausting at first. But then you know you get your stamina builds, doesn't it? And um, I'm going to move to. I think it's. Going to, I think I'm going to move to three mornings a week, and then just one thing I don't want to do is something I've always done throughout my recovery is uh, try to try to run before I can walk. And um, if you with the fatigue, if you, if you overdo it, then I just become I just get myself so exhausted. Right. And uh, so I'm trying not to do that. And obviously, you're trying to keep your. You know, you need to, you need to be. You know, I'm writing stuff, so it needs to be quite. You know, I need to have my brain engaged. And if you're exhausted, then you're not used to anybody, are you? So, so yeah, see how that goes. I'm doing um, through that same uh, the charity basic that I mentioned before. Um, I got this solicitor came and uh, asked me and a lady there called Tara. Me and Tara have both had brain injuries, and they um, they asked us if we'd go to London. And um, it's a hotel in London. It's it's called the um, what's it called? It's called Apil. <laughs> they're all acronyms, are they? Um, so it's um, Association of Personal Injury Lawyers. So they, um, that's like a, I don't know how to describe it, like like kind of a club that um, um, solicitors are in. Yeah. And um, I was like a sort of, like what it is, Association of Personal Injury Lawyers. And um, so I went down, we went down to London and um, we, we, Basically, me and Tara just spoke about um, like the cases that, that we went through, and a bit like what I'm doing now. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's all the, the idea is to get the, the you know lawyers to um, 
know more about the people that they represent. So it's um, so I did that then. I did that in uh, London, uh, Manchester, and Birmingham last year, and I'm doing it in uh, London and London and uh, Manchester the next month. Uh, sorry, in March. But um, when I did it in Birmingham, uh, there was somebody. I got an email off the back of that um, from a from a a law lecturer in uh, Cardiff University, which is in Wales, and um, she asked if I'd go and speak to their students, um, basically doing the same thing, but um, rather than you know professional lawyers, I'm doing it to student lawyers. So, so I'm speaking to um, yeah, a group of uh, law students in uh, wow. in March. So. The idea is if I can, if that goes well, then, you know, I can then market it to other uh, other universities. If it goes terribly, then I'm not going to tell anybody. <laughs> <anymore. So laughs> we'll just politely sweep that one under the carpet. Uh, I, I don't know. I've got, I've got faith in you. I mean, you, uh, you sound, you sound like the guy that I knew 12 years ago and uh, just uh a little more grown up, but like you said, that's we've all grown up, and so I, yeah. I don't really, I don't really think you, uh, you got left behind. Your, your growing was just I think a little I think bit it, different. Yeah. Your growing was just, just a little yeah. bit different than the rest. I'm wanting of us. to, I'm wanting to do things at a different time to everybody else. So. Yeah, well, yeah, it's really, it it's really cool all the stuff you're doing now. I mean, after this traumatic brain injury and everything that you've had to deal with, um, you're running marathons, public speaking, writing, you're working again. I mean you're doing some things that you possibly wouldn't wouldn't have ever had the opportunity to do had this not happened so I'm not I'm not saying it's a blessing but I now understand a little more why you said I wouldn't change it like this is yeah I wouldn't I wouldn't change it because um at the the time I was um I was I was unhappy at university I was in I was doing the wrong course and Mm -hmm. I had no passion about it and um I wasn't understanding it and um, yeah, I, I don't know if if it hadn't have happened to me, I don't know where I would have ended up. And I didn't really have much of a, you know much of a passion for life at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I would know. I, you know, I might have I might have got my act together. But, um, <laughs> I also <laughs> might not have done as well. Yeah. Well, but, it's but been it's, it's been really really cool catching up with you and actually getting to hear this story out of your mouth because, like I said, the last time you and I sat down in person together. Uh, you came to Toronto. What year was that? When did you come I'm here? I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember. I think it was 2012 or was it 2013? I came on the. Um, I came very soon after New Year's Day, um, and it was like it was quite a it was quite a mild time of year for Toronto. It was. You know what? It, it was, was. It was six years ago, based on my Facebook memories. Yeah, so. I know, but Facebook memories aren't always accurate, though, are they? So I don't know. Okay, so well, we'll say we'll say roughly six years ago, which you would have been right somewhere around. Uh, yeah, so it was twelve or thirteen. Yeah, I think it was twelve. I think it was twelve. Okay. But I um I no no thirteen. That's yeah, two thousand nineteen now, isn't it? Where's time going? It Amanda? is two thousand. Did you just did you just call me Amanda? Uh, for anyone listening, just FYI, I think in all the years that I've known Brooke, he's only ever referred to me as Hug and Kiss. <laughs> that wasn't that I didn't make that up today. That name, that name really stuck. Any time that uh, we spoke, it was hug and kiss because it's Amanda hug and kiss. <laughs> it was a, that was an old joke off the Simpsons. That wasn't it. It was um, I when it Bart used to ring Mo the uh, most tavern. <laughs> he was looking at Ma- I'm looking for Amanda. Amanda hug and kiss. Yeah, that was, my, that was yeah, you. Uh, that was me. <laughs> so there you go, Amanda hug and kiss. <laughs> Anyway, what was, what was I saying? Well, I was I was just kind of wrapping it up here because I think I think you kind of gave us all the information. And what I want to do before we do wrap it up is let people know if anyone's interested in reading your blogs, how we can find you. All right. Um, yeah, I've got a website. It's um, well, it's Brain Injury Brook, and it's Brook with an E. Spelled the girl's way. I'm sorry, but it's my <laughs> um, Brain Injury Brook, and it's .co.uk. And um, it's, I've got a Facebook page, Brain Injury Brook which is, um, yeah, if you like that. All right. Well, I will put links to, I'll put the link to your website when I post this podcast. And um, I just, honestly, I'm so happy we got to do this because this is the first time I've really got to hear your story from sort of start to, well, where we are now. I won't say finish because it seems like you are continuing to surprise people 
with all the stuff you're doing after such a traumatic brain injury. And uh, it's really cool. I think, can I just say something there? I think like, um, I think the only times that I've like, I've, I think I've always been like progressing, but the only times that I've really been, um, I felt I've gone backwards or I felt I've been, you know, not making progress is when I've become, um, when I've stopped doing stuff, when I've, um, so like my, my sort of advice to anybody with a brain injury would be just keep going, keep making your brain work and keep, keep challenging yourself. Once you, once you stop, you know, but do you know what I mean? Once you stop challenging yourself, then you just, you become, um, you just kind of stop. Well, it's, it really um, is. It really is the same advice for all people just differently. I mean, it's with anybody. If you don't have a new goal and a new way to challenge yourself, if you're not moving, if you're not moving forward, you're, you're what you're staying still, you're doing nothing. Yeah. So I think that is really good advice for people with a traumatic brain injury. I mean, it's okay to take some time to get to know yourself again. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. But at some point, at some point, if you want to, to have a life again, then yeah, you're going to have to, you have to push yourself. Yeah. You know, like no, no amount of money um, is going to change that. You you can't, you can't buy your life back. So you have to, um, you have to just keep challenging yourself. Yeah. And one last thing before we go, because I say this all the time and you sort of touched on it is um, just don't compare yourself to other people. What your life looks like is going to be totally different from somebody else with a brain injury, somebody else without a brain injury. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, the the worst thing you can do for yourself is, um, is, as Brooke said, try to go back to exactly who you were before this all happened. Yeah, you, trying you, to compare yourself. I mean, like about that time, uh, 2007, that's when like Facebook and all that was starting. And um, I didn't know about um, photo filters and stuff like that. So I just um, I just thought everybody was like so, so, so good looking. And, <laughs> and, what, and basically what Facebook is, it's a highlight reel, isn't it? Nobody puts the, the no. rubbish days on Facebook. and um, No, you don't post a photo of you getting in an argument with your significant other or yourself uh, yeah. crying. No, you post, you know, happy pictures of you out on a date. Meanwhile, you know, 10 minutes before that, you were arguing about taking that photo. So <laughs> Of course, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's when, you know, when you sort of, when you're in that depressed state of mind, you just kind of, you tend to look for things that are, you know, you look for excuses to be depressed, don't you? So I thought I was... Um, I thought everybody else had the best life and I had the worst life, but that's, you know, that's what's comparing to yourself. Everybody's an individual, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad that you've realized that now and found something you're good at. And I really, really do think that this, uh, this public speaking thing is, is going to work out for you because even just from reading your blogs, you really have a way of getting your message out to people. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm sorry I'm not very massage conscious but um i did um, <laughs> I had to actually i did actually uh, get a, a qualification in massage um a few years ago that was part of my rehab but uh, uh, okay. i don't know if that qualifies i don't know if that qualifies me to speak on the um the professional hour but maybe the unprofessional <laughs> <laughs> well maybe we'll do a follow-up in a in a little bit maybe after you've got a little more massage knowledge anyway <laughs> i will uh let you get back to your day so what time is it there 4 30 ish well it's 11 it's 11 30 here so i guess it's 11 35 all right well you go enjoy the rest of your afternoon and uh for everybody listening i will post the links to brooke's website and public facebook page if you want to read more but for now you have all been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone and have an awesome day whether you're in canada or across the sea Bye, Brooke. See you later, Amanda. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.